This morning, we continue in our series entitled, Our Journey with Jesus. We're talking about things that we can practice in our day-to-day -day lives that will move us in the direction of being more like Jesus. The first week, we looked at the discipline of letting go, and we talked about the need to let go of anything in our lives that may be hindering our relationship with God. Because before we can fill our lives up with God, we've got to create some empty space. And then the second week, we added welcoming or showing hospitality as we talked about the importance of taking the kindness that you normally reserve for your, your friends or your family and showing that same kind of kindness to those who are in need, especially to strangers. And then last week, we looked at friending. Because we all need a friend, an onamkara, whom we can be honest with and open up to and who will be honest with us and help us to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, get your pillows out, because we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of resting. And some of you are saying to yourself right now, finally, a discipline that I can get excited about. Now, before we get started, though, I need to confess to you that I'm tired I mean, for several years, I've been blaming it on old age or iron poor blood, lack of vitamins, air pollution, water pollution, aspartame, obesity, dieting, cell phone radiation, and, and probably a dozen other things. But now I found out that's not it at all. I'm tired because I'm overworked. The population of this country aged 18 and above is 230 million, but 50 million people are retired and 50 million more are unemployed. That leaves 130 million people to do the work. Now there are 80 million people in school, so that leaves 50 million to do the work. And of this total, there are 30 million employed by the federal government. So that leaves only 20 million to actually do the work. And take from that total the 19.7 million people who work for the state and city governments, and that leaves 300,000 people to do all of the work. But there are 188,000 people in hospitals on average per day, so that leaves 112,000 people to do the work. But there are 111,998 people in prison. That leaves just two people to do the work, you and me. And you're just sitting there listening to me talk, and so it's no wonder that I am tired. <laughs> Now, of course, I'm only joking, but the truth is that many of us do feel tired much of the time because we are so very busy. I mean, many of us feel guilty if we're not constantly doing something, and I include myself in that number. Rick Warren writes, he says, about 18 years ago, my wife and I went on our first cruise. Before we left, he says, a friend had told us how much he enjoyed going on a cruise with his wife. He said it was a great time just to get away and read a book. Well, when he said that, I thought to myself, why in the world would I pay a lot of money to go out on a boat just to read a book? I can do that at home. 
So when we got on the ship, we were given a list of all of the activities, and immediately I made my list. I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I sure don't want to miss out on this. And after a couple of days, I was worn out. Fortunately, I got some sense back by the end of the week. Guess what I was doing? I was lying around on the deck just reading and taking a nap. And I have to say, that was the first vacation I ever took where I came back feeling rested. So let me ask you a question today. Why is it so hard for us to rest? You know, the fourth commandment that God gave to the Jews was this, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day He rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. God commanded that this day of rest be observed by the Jews on the seventh day of every week. And God was very serious about this commandment. He says, you Jews need to take a break, prop your feet up, and rest for a while. I don't want you doing anything strenuous on the Sabbath. Now, in terms of seriousness, where would you rank that commandment? And let's be honest, surely it doesn't sound as serious as thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not murder. But in the midst of all of these other serious commands, God said, I want you Jews to take it easy for a while. I want you to, to take an afternoon nap, to play it safe. Go, go play some checkers. Go for a walk. Now, what do you suppose should be the penalty for breaking that command? Well, God said that the penalty for breaking His commandment was to, you know, His commandment to rest was death. If you don't stop and rest one day a week, you get the death penalty, God said. Folks, you can't get any more serious than that, can you? And we know that God meant what He said because in Numbers chapter 15, there was a Jewish man who went out into the wilderness to, 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 to gather some sticks for a fire, which would not have been a problem except that he did it on the Sabbath. God said that that man was to be punished, and so the community took him out and stoned him to death. And you thought your mom's punishment for not laying down and taking a nap was severe. Now, why in the world would God be so harsh about this particular commandment? Naturally, I can only speculate, but I can think of several possible reasons. Uh, to begin with, God knows how important it is that humans rest. You know, Jesus demonstrated this in his own life. In Mark, the sixth chapter, verses 30 and 31, after Jesus had sent those apostles out into the community to preach and to heal people, it says this, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, 
And they told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Now this was an exciting time. The apostles had been out in, in, out in the villages talking to people, and I'm sure they had a lot of stories to share with each other about who they talked with and who was willing to listen to them. And they'd cast out demons, and they'd healed people. And then Jesus said, hey, let's go off by ourselves for a little while. Let, let's go rest for a while. And I'm sure there had to be at least one apostle who said, but Jesus, we can't stop now because you know lots of good things are happening, Jesus. We need to keep the momentum going. Let's keep on doing what we've been doing. But you see, Jesus knew they needed to rest. He wasn't telling them to stop working, but he knew that before they continued to do any more work, they needed a break. I read somewhere about a study that was done several years ago by the Army in which they observed soldiers in various conditions to determine at what stage these soldiers achieved the maximum level of output. And the Army discovered that after seven consecutive days of hard work, each soldier's performance dropped. But the most interesting thing that they learned was this that even though the soldier's performance level dropped at that point, the soldiers themselves didn't realize it. They thought they were still operating at maximum level. And maybe that's why so many of us think we don't need to, to rest. You know, that it's somehow lazy to take a break every now and then. You know, we feel like we don't need the rest, that we can just continue to operate at maximum level for weeks at a time. But the fact is, we can't. God knows the importance of rest. And he didn't need any army study to tell him either. God made us. He knows how much this body can handle. And he knows that if we don't take time out to recharge our batteries, then we will very quickly wear ourselves out. And God also knows how much humans don't want to rest. Now, those of you who are, who are parents fully understand this because we see the same resistance with our children. I mean, have you ever watched young children fight sleep? They'll whine and they'll cry and, and they'll keep themselves busy running and playing just to avoid falling asleep. But whatever they're doing, no matter how frenzied their efforts to stay awake, they will still insist they're not tired. I mean, I remember times where our kids' eyes would, would lose their focus and their heads, you know, looked like they were going to bob right off of their neck in the middle of telling me, Daddy, I'm not sleepy. There are times when a mother or a father simply has to make a child rest. God knew that man needed rest from his labor. And he also knew that man would resist it. And if God had simply told the Jews, you know what, you guys really ought to take a break every now and then, there is not a single one of them that would have taken God seriously. But when God said, either you stop and rest for a while, 
or the punishment is death? Folks, you tend to listen to an instruction like that. And so the third thing I think that we can learn here was, was that you know, the Sabbath was a reminder of the Israelites' freedom. In the account of the Ten Commandments given back in Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, these words are added to the instruction about the Sabbath. Uh, God said there, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with His strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now, in 21st century America, we take the five-day work week so much for granted that we forget what a radical concept a day of rest was in ancient times. There was nothing similar to the Jewish Sabbath rest in any other ancient civilization. In fact, the Greeks thought the Jews were lazy because they insisted on having a holiday every seventh day. In ancient times, leisure was for the wealthy, for the ruling classes, but never for the common man, never for the servants. And so the Sabbath was designed to remind the Jews of their freedom. Slaves didn't get days off. And so every time the Jews observed the Sabbath, they remembered that they were no longer slaves. As one modern Jewish writer puts it, in a more general sense, he says, the Sabbath frees us from our weekday concerns, from our deadlines, and from our schedules and commitments. He says, during the week, we are slaves to our jobs, to our creditors, to our need to provide for ourselves on Sabbath. But he says, on Sabbath, we are freed from these concerns, much as our ancestors were freed from slavery in Egypt. And then fourthly, Sabbath was a test of the Israelites' faith in God. When other people living around them, you know, living around the Israelites, noticed that the Jews didn't do any work on the Sabbath, it provoked them to ask questions. I mean, everyone else worked seven days a week. Uh, and and you, you had to, you know, if you were going to survive, you had to do this, or, or at least that's what they thought. And so why do you Jews only work six days a week and refuse to do any work on the seventh day? to which they could respond that they did this as a testimony to the fact that they belonged to Almighty God and that they were trusting in Him to provide for their needs. Now, I'm not a farmer. I mean, I've done a little bit of farm work on my brother's farm and some other farmers, but I'm not a farmer. And so for the longest time, I missed something very important in the Sabbath commandment. As I understand it, there is a certain timing for everything you do as a farmer. You plant your crops at a certain time of the year, you know, according to what the climate is and, and how the crop deals with uh, the climate. And then you pretty much, uh, you know, pretty much what time of year your crop is going to be ready for, for harvesting. But timing is crucial. You know, if you wait too long and you don't get all the crops planted before the heavy rains come, then you've got a real problem. And if you allow your crops to stay too long in the field, you've got problems as well. Everything will rot 
and will be of no value. And so timing is everything. And so you would think that God, who knows how crucial timing was to a farming culture, would surely make an exception during those times of the year when crops were being planted and harvested. I mean, surely God would allow them to work on the Sabbath and then make up for it later in the summer when they, just were, when they were just sitting there watching the crops grow. But Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, God says, You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day, you must stop working, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. Now I want you to notice this. God was testing their faith. He wanted to know, was the Jews' faith in their own ability? You know, to, was it in their own ability to get the crop in the ground and then harvest it in the fall? Or was their faith in God, the one who made the crops grow in the first place? And don't you know there were plenty of times when Jewish farmers, you know, kind of looked up at the storm clouds on the Sabbath day and were tempted to say, I don't care what God says, I have to work today or I can't make ends meet. God wanted to know, do you trust me? The problem with the Israelites and with us is that we sometimes don't have enough faith in God to really believe that he is going to meet our needs. I mean, if we don't work those extra hours, then we're just not going to be provided for. And so we work, and we work, and we work, and we wear ourselves out because we just don't believe that God can take care of us if, if we don't. Now, of course, we understand that the Sabbath law was for the Jews, not for us in the New Testament era. We don't observe the Sabbath day today. And despite what you may have heard or been taught, Sunday is never referred to in the Bible as the Christian Sabbath. Now, it's often been treated that way. I mean, it used to be widely accepted in our society that you shouldn't work on a Sunday. I mean, I can remember a time when you didn't dare mow your lawn on a Sunday. And most stores were closed on Sundays, not just Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. And while I appreciate those business owners who provide a day for their employees to worship God and to spend time with their families, I do think there's a tremendous value in Christians using Sunday in a way that indicates our devotion to God. I don't believe we can take all the Jewish laws regarding the Sabbath and apply them to Sunday. However, I do believe that there are some lessons that we need to learn from the fact that God commanded the Jews to rest. To begin with, understand that God is not against work. I mean, from the time that Adam was in the Garden of Eden, work was a part of God's plan for our lives. God told Adam, don't just sit around twiddling your thumbs, working uh, Sudoku puzzles. No, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2 says, to work it and to watch over it. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, God says that those who aren't willing to work shouldn't be allowed to eat. And so God is not against work, but he is against work consuming our lives. He is against us finding our significance and our self-worth in our work. He is against us filling our lives so full of work that we don't have time for Him or for other people. 
He is against us working so hard and so long that we wear ourselves out physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so he told the Israelites that they needed to stop from their work on a regular basis and rest. And I think it's worth noting that God didn't just say, don't work on the Sabbath. He said to rest on the Sabbath. Now, you might think that that's the same thing, but it's not the same thing at all. You could take a day of the week and not go to work and still not rest. We can have our minds so filled with all the stresses of the week and all of the problems that the new week is going to hold and receive absolutely no rest from a day away from the job. And there are many of us who need to learn the importance of rest. I mean, busyness has become the hallmark of American lifestyle. We keep telling ourselves, if I could just do a little bit more, the job would be back on schedule, or the bills would be up to date, or I'd be a cinch to get this promotion. And bit by bit, we lose our perspective. And we sacrifice relationships with our families, the very people we claim we're trying to provide for in order to reach our goals. And we neglect our mental and physical health, all in the name of getting more done. But we will never accomplish enough or accumulate enough to feel satisfied. We will only become more tired. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to work hard or that it's wrong to want to achieve great things. But it is wrong to allow our work to enslave us. You see, what God wanted the Jews to understand, and what we need to understand today, is that work must not become our God. We must not allow ourselves to become enslaved to our work. Because I suspect that more and more of us find ourselves in a place not really all that different from the Egypt where the ancient Hebrews were enslaved, except that our slavery is self-constructed and self-imposed, and therefore much more difficult to detect or to overcome. We're enslaved to our notions of success. We're enslaved to our ideas about our children or our grandchildren having every opportunity possible and therefore feel the need to schedule an activity into their every waking minute. We're enslaved to the belief that, the, that, that only one thing that will bring contentment is more. You know, more money more things to put on our resumes, more things to put in our closets, uh, more, whatever. And when we become enslaved to these beliefs, we'll find that we don't have much time for anything but work. I love the story I once heard about a fisherman who was lying on a, uh, this beautiful beach with his fishing pole propped up on the, in the sand and, and his line cast out into the water. And he was just enjoying the warmth of the afternoon sun and the prospect of maybe catching a fish. Well, about that time, a businessman came walking down the beach trying to relieve some of his stress. And he noticed the fisherman sitting there, and he decided to find out why this man was fishing instead of working harder to make a living for himself. And so he said, hey, you aren't going to catch many fish that way. You should be working rather than lying on the beach. 
And the fisherman looked up at the businessman and he said, and what will my reward be? And the man said, well, you can get bigger nets and catch more fish. And the fisherman smiled and said, and then what will my reward be? And the businessman said, well, uh, you can make lots of money and you'll be able to buy a boat, which will then result in, in larger catches of fish. And then what will my reward be? And the businessman was beginning to get a little bit irritated with these questions. And, and so he said, well, you can buy a bigger boat and you can hire some people to work for you. And again, the fisherman asked, and then what will my reward be? Well, by this time, the businessman was getting angry. And he said, don't you understand? You can build a whole fleet of fishing boats, sell all over the world, and let your employees catch fish for you. But once again, the fisherman asked, and then what will my reward be? Well, the businessman was so mad at this point that he shouted at the fisherman, don't you understand that you can become rich so that you'll never have to work for a living again? You can spend all the rest of your days sitting on this beach looking at this sunset. You won't have a care in the world. And the fisherman, still smiling, looked up at the man and said, and what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> Now, I'm not suggesting that you all move to the beach and set up your fishing pole, okay? But I do want you to see that sometimes we get caught up in the slavery of thinking that, we're, that we've constantly got to be working harder and harder to get more and more. And God wants us to remember that there are more important things than work. Let me share with you something that Daryl Tippins points out in his book, Pilgrim Heart. It's something that I, that I hadn't noticed before. Uh, and I, I'm sure you're aware that as Jews mark time, their day doesn't start at, at midnight like our day does. For the Jews, it starts at sunset. That's why Sabbath actually begins on what we would call Friday night. Whenever the sun sets, the Sabbath begins. We see this same kind of language used in the story of creation. Uh, several times after the creation, uh, there's something, uh, several times after the creation of something, you know, we read these words. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. That's not written the way that we would say it, is it? No, we would say there was morning and there was evening the first day. But no, no. God said there was evening and there was morning the first day. Like many of you, I was aware of this, but I had never considered the implication of it. What that means is that under Jewish time, the first thing that happens in your day is you rest. You rest and then you work. Which, of course, is the opposite of the way we see it. We work, and then we go home, and we rest. But for the Jews, rest always came first. Henry Nouwen made the point that there are three movements to the spiritual life. First, there's solitude, then community, and then service or ministry. And he based this on Jesus' practice in Luke chapter 6. 
in that chapter, in, in verse 12, uh, Jesus first went up to the mountain to pray. And then after that, in verses 13 through 16, he formed a community of followers. And then in verses 17 through 19, he went out into society to serve others. And Henry Nouwen says that all three of these stages or, or movements need to appear in the life of a Christian. But in that same order, Jesus spent the night in solitude with God. In the morning, he gathered his apostles around him and formed community. In the afternoon, with his apostles, he went out and he preached the word and he healed the sick. The night is for solitude, the morning for community, the afternoon for ministry. I think this helps to put things in proper perspective. American culture tends to glorify this 24-7 kind of life. Going and doing are what's important to the typical American. Resting, not so much. But the evening comes before the morning. The night is for solitude and for rest. The morning for community. The afternoon for ministry. And so we rest. Not to be lazy. Not to avoid the work that God has called us to do. But to better prepare ourselves for that work. And if we choose to neglect that rest we will never be able to accomplish all that God intends for us to accomplish.